0: Welcome to another exciting episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Listen in as your hosts, Jimmy Atkinson and Andy Higgins, discuss new opportunities in the alts universe, from direct investments to DSTs, opportunity zones, private equity, and more. We cover it all here on the Alternative Investment Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. And I'm your co-host, Andy Hagans. Andy, great to be back once again with you. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing alternative investment data and trends with our guest, Kevin Gannon, chairman and CEO of Robert A. Stanger and Company. Kevin joins us today from Shrewsbury, New Jersey. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you on the podcast today with us, Kevin. Uh, really admire your company and what they do, but for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit more about the company, Robert A. Stanger, and how does your firm help the alternative investment space?
2: That's a great question. Robert A. Stanger and Company is an investment banking firm that goes back to 1978. I've been here since 1983, and I'm now the chairman and CEO. What we do fundamentally is we're investment bankers that focus on the alternative space, So we do mergers and acquisitions and those kind of transactions involving all non-traded REITs and other similar products. Uh, We also do a lot of real estate appraisal work that supports our M&A business. But the real estate appraisal work is used to help derive NAVs on some of these non-traded REITs. Uh, So we're pretty active with that doing real estate appraisals. We collect data on about 25,000 untraded securities. We collect that data and report it to brokerage firms and others. Uh, to record on put on a cap statement, so we're we're constantly tracking that data. Well, people probably mostly know us for is our publishing business. We publish several periodicals dedicated to the alternative investment space, including the Stanger Report, which tracks the fee structures of non-traded REITs and non-traded business development companies. The Stanger Market Pulse, which tracks all the fundraising of all the alternative products, non-traded REITs, BDcs, preferred stocks. Interval Funds, Delaware Statutory trusts, OZ deals. We track all that in the market pulse. We have uh, another periodical that's pretty hot right now. It's the IPA Stanger Monitor. And what that is, is a periodical that tracks the performance of non-traded REITs and BDCs. In the past, we never had a place to find that data, right? So we track it all for all non-traded REITs and BDCs. And it's a pretty good uh, bellwether of what's going on in the space and how things are moving. Additionally, on top of that, we publish the Interval Fund Report, which is like the Stanger Report, but tracks everything going on in interval funds. And then lastly, this past year, we introduced a new series of publications and it's research reports on non-traded REITs. So we cover uh, many of the large non-traded, non-traded REITs and issue full-blown equity analyst research reports on the likes of Blackstone, Black Creek Diversify, Black Creek Industrial, or, which are now Aries products. Starwood, Heinz, Jones-Lang LaSalle, Nuveen. So we're writing 30-page research reports several times a year covering everything they're doing, everything from their fundraising, their fee structure, their redemption queue, how the redemptions have worked out, what their performance has been, what they invest in, how they price those assets. It's a full comprehensive analysis of everything you want to know about those non-traded REITs. And we do it, we don't do it for profit, believe it or not. We don't make a lot of money doing it, but we do it because we want the information. We want to be able to talk to people about the space intelligently. And the only way we can do that is have several research analysts focus on every filing that they do. These programs have gotten large. You know, one of them is over $40 billion in equity raise. So they're getting big and we think there'll be more people following them. We like to be the leader looking at that they're not easy to analyze you got to have a real estate background and you got to have a financial background and a securities background maybe an accounting degree wouldn't hurt you either but we write them in such a way that we think it's simple to understand so it's helpful for people wanting to get into this product line and we'll be adding other products to this research effort bdcs and other products because we think the market needs the info and we're not doing it to elbow anybody out of the room. We're doing it to encourage others to write research about it. Because I think the more people that write research about it, the better this product will be understood by more people. So we encourage and we help anybody who wants to write research, we help them get going. So we're encouraging to everybody out there.
1: Yeah, that's tremendous. It isn't easy, as you mentioned, but you guys are doing a tremendous work and tremendous service to the industry. You guys really have become a thought leader over the last several decades because of the work that you do. That's how we came across you and how we are familiar with you because of what you do as a publisher and a data reporter. And I know we're going to ask you about those research reports, those data reports, a little bit later in the episode. But first, I wanted to focus on, you brought up non-traded REITs a a few times in your introduction there. I kind of see, as you do, I'm sure as well, Kevin, the alts industry, you used a term with us before we hit the record button, morphing from non-traded REITs to NAV REITs. What's the impetus for that transition and what's resulting from it?
2: Yeah, I think what what's happened here, in the past, we had the broad category of non-traded REITs, which were basically finite life vehicles that raised capital, invested it, and then liquidated in some fashion by listing or merging or selling outright over a period of five, seven, 10 years, right? That was the basic product line. And they were fine, but there wasn't enough transparency in those vehicles. So what's, what's happened is We've had over the last four or five years, we had this new product come out, which is called the NAVREIT, a net asset value REIT. And what does that mean? It means every month they're striking a NAV, right? They're telling you what the value of that security is. They're valuing the real estate. They're valuing the balance sheet. They're recording they're accruing all their expenses. And they're saying, here's what this thing's worth today, right? And you can buy at that price or sell at that price today. And uh, that's the basics of the REIT. Additionally, what they brought to the table, which the older REITs didn't have, was they bring liquidity to the table. They commit to redeem up to 20% of the outstanding per annum. So, 20% of the people want out, they can get out at NAV, right? So, they're not subject to the vagaries of the stock market. They get out at at net asset value. So, the fact that you have that liquidity feature and that transparency on NAV is very compelling, on top of a pretty strong distribution which is about 5% of the NAV. About 5% of NAV is the distribution rate. You couple all of that with the performance that these uh, products have, have provided over the last couple of years, and now you got something to talk about. The Those uh, products have generally returned 7 8% over the last several years, but in the last 12 months, they've been up 20 to 25% as a result of a recovery of the real estate market. So they've done really well. So you got, what do you got? You got transparency on value, you got liquidity, and you got performance. That makes a good investment product. And that we didn't have all those things with the prior generation of REITs. In addition to all of that, we got some great sponsorship, right? We got the likes of Blackstone, Aries, Griffin, Starwood, Blue Rock, just a whole Hines, you a know, whole host of uh, players coming into this space uh, or that are in this space. And uh, those are good names to line up with. They uh, will produce some good returns, we think, as are good quality players.
3: Absolutely. And Kevin, one theme that comes to mind, both within the Navreets, you know, in some of those product segments, as well as just the greater alternative investment landscape and what your company does is transparency, right? <laughs> so the, these products and these wrappers are just inherently more transparent. And with organizations like yours producing uh, research reports and, and like what the IPA is doing. It's just bringing more transparency and information to the space and bringing that information, you know, to RIAs, to family offices, high net worth investors, and so on. I think that is so important for the overall growth of the industry, as well as just these individual product segments. But I wanted to dig a little deeper into your research reports. You did a very good job of describing all the different research that that you all produce but could you tell us and our listeners a little bit more about how you actually produce those reports? You know, how do you get the data as well as what kind of investors could utilize these reports? Is it mainly high net worth individual investors? Is it family offices and RIAs? Are these institutional investors who are subscribing? Could you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. So first on, on doing the research reports, it's a challenge. There's a lot of information you got to gather. All of it's from public filings, nothing other than public filings and uh, general survey data available to the industry, to anybody, right? So we go through and read all their filings and we look at all their data. And then we look at industry data to talk about pricing of real estate assets. And what we do is we walk through in a very detailed fashion on each deal. We walk through their fundraising. We walk through how they've raised money over the last couple of years. We look at their redemptions, how they've redeemed, whether they've met their redemptions. We look at how they've deployed the capital into what asset classes and how they price those investments in their NAV derivation. And we compare that to survey data. So we look at the pricing they use for discount rates and cap rates uh, in the pricing of each asset class compared to the survey data. and We make a comment about that, whether we think that's reasonable or not. And then we look at their balance sheet, we look at their NAV derivation, we look at their distribution and how it's covered by earnings, how, how, uh, what the payout ratio is, that's the term of art we use, what the payout ratio is. So we're looking at all those features. And at the end of the day, in, inside of that report, we do a five-year projection of what we think that same store portfolio will do over five years. We triangulate based upon the data reported by them, and we come up with a five-year projection. Then it's it's kind of interesting. It, it shows what we think it'll do. And we state it all very clearly and simply. I tell people that you don't have to read past the, the front left column of the research report. It kind of tells you everything you want to know. If you want the detail, you can dig deeper. But that's how it fundamentally is useful. It lays all out for you. And you can compare these NAV REITs to each other, right, and to the traded REIT world. So you're able to do that with our research report pretty simply. I tell everybody the first research report will take you 20 minutes to read. The next one will take you five minutes, because they're all kind of laid out the same. And it's pretty straightforward. I think it's useful to anybody who's considering deploying capital into the space whether you're recommending it as a financial advisor or whether you're actually committing your own personal capital or your family's capital to the space. It's worth reading. It's put together. We're not biased. Nobody sponsors us. We don't have uh, any connection with these sponsors in terms of them paying us to write these research reports. Sometimes we get engaged in assignments, but we always disclose that. But at the end of the day, these are independent research reports that I think we think are useful. And I I have my guys write it so that it was useful to me. I'm the CEO of the company. So I Mm -hmm. want to be able to understand everything going on in that deal in in 15 or 20 minutes. And it accomplishes that objective. And it's uh, pretty thorough and authoritative. And we like it. We've gotten a lot of compliments about it. Uh, Hard to do, but easy to read, and uh we're encouraging anybody who wants to pick up a pen to that's an analyst to write one because it's we think it's the more people that write about it, the better the space will be received.
3: I love what you mentioned that your team writes the research report that you yourself want to read as an investor. I think in software development, they call that eating your own dog food. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> but- right. I think that's just a great way to develop product is create the thing that you yourself want to use. And, you know, I've sort of followed the research reports almost secondhand, just just seeing news headlines. And obviously, this has just a, been a banner year across the alternative investment landscape. I mean, we've seen record inflows into non-traded REITs, into DSTs. I know even opportunity funds have seen a lot of inflows. It just seems like almost every single segment is is setting a record in 2021. So do you see this trend continuing into 2022? Do you think that 2022 is likely to be that sort of banner year? And then within that, are there different types of products that you think have the most traction relative to the others?
2: Yeah, I think we're in early innings here. Uh, Someone asked me recently what inning I thought we're in. I said, I thought we're in the second inning of a nine inning game. So, I think we're early. This is new wave stuff. And we got some great sponsorship. Like I said, you know, you got Blackstone, Ares, Nuveen, Starwood, you know, there's some KKR, some great names out there. Now you got Apollo coming into the space in a bigger way. So, all the big asset managers that, that have had institutional followings are now coming to the retail side, recognizing that this capital's sticky. They're investing in a perpetual program. They got the option for liquidity. They're looking long-term. They should stick with the investment thesis. The other thing I think that's happened here quite smartly is their high-conviction assets have been hot top performers, right? In the old days, we did non-trader East. There was a lot of office assets, a lot of retail assets. In this new generation, The focus has been, the high conviction stuff has been multifamily, self-storage, logistics slash industrial, those asset classes, which have really, really done quite well the past year or two, last couple of years. So that's what we're really paying these asset managers for, right? These big names, we don't want them to be stuck on an asset class. That's the only thing they know. We want them to look at the world of real estate and pick those things that make sense, that look like they got the best growth prospects. We saw some of them go by, do big net leases on casinos in Vegas during the pandemic. And we said, my God, does that make sense? And and of course, they they caught the trend, they caught the dip and, and wrote it up. So at the end of the day, that's what we're paying for. That's a game changer, I think. You got strategic thinkers looking at these portfolios. These portfolios are getting big. You know, five, 10, you know, one of them's over $50 billion, you know, big portfolios. So it's great that we bring that strategic thinking and muscle into the space to help retail investors get that exposure. That kind of talent was previously only available to institutional investors, right? The big pension funds. It wasn't available to the retail investor. Now being available to the retail investor, we think that's a a game changer and that, that should change the fundraising paradigm here going forward.
3: I totally agree. That is a game changer. Just kind of water falling down from family offices and ultra high net worth to very high net worth. And now a lot of these products are accessible to any accredited investor. And then especially with the information and transparency being available you know, through research reports and through other organizations and media sources, frankly, it's just a better value proposition, I think, for your quote-unquote everyday accredited investor versus 20 or 30 years ago. But Kevin, you've given us a lot to digest and and a lot of information, but I want to put you on the spot now. Do you have any predictions for 2022 within the alts landscape?
2: Yeah, I'm predicting broadly that we're going to see another 20% uptick from where we are right now. So where I've said that total alts, alt, meaning public programs, non-traded REITs, BDCs, preferred stocks, interval funds, and other, and private placements, meaning DSTs, OZ deals, and, and other private placements, I predict those this year will be $75 billion. And I think it'll be up 20% next year, so it'll be closer to 90. And I think that's pretty exciting. Back in 2019, that was less than $30 billion. So that's a big move. And I think the market will handle it. And I think it's exciting and great. It's, it's good opportunities. And I think we're we're bringing and seeing you know, just big names come into this space that bring a lot of analytical firepower to the underwriting of real estate, which is something you really want to see. So it's all good. No,
1: that is all good, Kevin, for sure. There's a lot of momentum in the alternative investment industry. We're happy to be covering it from altsdb.com and from this podcast, the Alternative Investment Podcast. Thanks for joining us on the show today, Kevin. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and getting your insights and learning more about your company. But before we go, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and Robert A. Stanger and company?
2: We have a website, uh, rastanger.com, R-A-S-T-A-N-G-E-R.com. You can go on there. And if they really want to know something, tell them to call me. I'll be glad to spend some time on the phone with them or any of you guys. We spend a lot of time doing that. And it's fun. You learn something. People tell you stuff, right? And we'll send them a free research report and they can tell me what they don't like about it. Tell me what they think we should do. And I'll take that under serious consideration because we want to make a better product. That's what we want to do. Make it more useful to everybody. So tell them to call me.
1: No, that's great. Yeah. I love talking with investors and uh, other folks on the phone all the time. Great way to learn about what people want and build relationships and build trust. Well, uh, Also, uh, just before we go, though, I do want to remind our listeners that we will produce show notes for today's episode, as we do for all of our episodes, on the AltsDB website. You can find those show notes at altsdb.com slash podcast. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that we discussed today with our guest, Kevin Gannon. Kevin, again, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, fellas.
0: That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The Alternative Investment Podcast is produced by the Alternative Investment Database online at altsdb.com. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and access the show notes by visiting altsdb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.